and welcome to Nice Jewish Fangirls, presented by JewishCoffeehouse.com. Nice Jewish Fangirls is a podcast where three Orthodox women discuss all of the wonderfully nerdy things that we are obsessed with. My name is Michal Schick, and I'm your host, and I'm joined today by my amazing co-hosts, Tamara Herman. Hello. And Essa Rosenberg. Hi. So, we're recording this uh, right in the, like, lead-up to Yom Kippur, um... And for some reason, I, decided, I I thought it would be nice to talk about bad guys, um, topically speaking or not. We are going to start, of course, with our current obsessions. And um, I'm going to start this week because um, I have an obsession that is like a real obsession um, and like, yeah. like an obsessed obsession. And um, that is The Dragon Prince, which is a new animated series on Netflix uh, that dropped on Friday. And it is really good, guys. <laughs> it's really good. Um, I stayed up really late to finish uh, watching uh, all nine episodes last night. And it is created by Aaron E. Haas, who was the head writer on Avatar, and he was the guy who was responsible for some of like the more interesting plot decisions. Um, I think he was the one who told them that Zuko like, should make that bad choice that he makes at the end of season two. Um, which kind of added a whole other layer to the show. Uh, anyway, he's really good. He's really smart. Giancarlo Volpe, also, who was an, a director on Avatar, is an executive producer. The other writers are also really good. And it's about... It's like it's actually, like, slightly overcomplicated, but basically there's many sources of magic, and uh, humans have discovered a... Uh, there's, it's a world with dragons and elves and stuff, um, and humans have discovered uh, dark magic, which is the sixth form of the seventh form of magic. And uh, the humans did a lot of bad things in the war, because of course there was a war. And I'm I'm not explaining this very well. Basically, uh, <laughs> elven assassin, two human princes, uh, initially trying to kill each other, and then uh, go on a mission to restore peace to their lands. Uh, and plus, there's a lot of other um, really great characters, um, including the bad guy, who might be my favorite. <laughs> and, um, yeah, it's really, really good. I enjoy it a lot. I honestly think if you liked Avatar, it's, it's like, required viewing. Um, it's not the same as Avatar, but it does hit a lot of those similar uh, notes to me. And I'm kind of obsessed with it, so... Um, you might hear more about this in the future because I don't think I'll be able to stop talking about it in just one episode. Um, but uh, tomorrow, what's your current obsession? Um, so it's not. I, I'm really actually intrigued in watching that, which I don't usually watch like animated shows. So that's that's like very promising series. But um, over Rosh Hashanah, I got a lot of books out of the library, and some were good, and some I didn't even get through. But I read um, Labor Dugo's Wonder Woman Warbringer, which is the like. Um, oh, I borrowed that from uh, from Michal. I think she lent me a copy, which was autographed by Labor Dugo. Oh. Yes, you did. Uh, yes, it was. Yes, I still have to return it to you. Sorry. That's okay. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, so I enjoyed it. It was. I wouldn't say it's like an obsession. It's just something that I've been thinking about a little bit um, and how it ties into like the story of Wonder Woman that they're telling now because it doesn't actually. <laughs> so um, it's like a very, just very interesting how they gave over the rights to this novel and how they kind of reintroduced, you know, the introduction story of Diana in the human world in, in this storyline and introduced some like Greek mythology and stuff. I thought it was interesting. I didn't think it was like the best you know, t- tie-in um, movie book that I've ever, ever seen. I also read it over Shabbos, the uh, Leia Princess of Alderaan by Claudia Gray, which I actually thought was a little bit better. Um, I guess my obsession is just, like, novelizations, like, prequels for movies that I've been watching. Um, <laughs> and, and I think that both of them were really interesting because they kind of added depth to the characters but they didn't necessarily change anything we knew about the stories of both of those movies like and I don't think Wonder Woman is supposed to be a movie tie-in like it doesn't make sense to be a movie tie-in because it changes her origin entirely um or not entirely but it changes a lot about her yeah I think it was like marketing for the movie before the movie came out yeah um like it wasn't a movie tie-in 
um, Leia, Princess of Alderaan was a movie tie-in to precede the um, Rogue One. So it was kind of like to try to point you in the right direction of how Leia ended up, you know, being a rebel and being a leader in the rebellion, um, which I thought was really interesting. And I really, honestly, I really enjoyed learning about Alderaan and Alderaan culture because I thought that was was just like a nice touch um, that we hadn't, like, I hadn't read many of the other recent Star Wars books. So like, I didn't know that they were actually, you know, like trying to fill in the gap of like what was going on in other movies. Uh, and I just, I just think that this is a really cool trend, you know, of having pretty popular novelists write these, these books and kind of giving them relatively free reign to just like here, okay, just write a, a story. <laughs> and it's, and it could really, both of these books could be any book about anybody else other than like Leia and Diana. And they're just good, fun reads. Um, Leia's maybe a little bit not because there's like a lot there about like Alderaan and like don't destroy Alderaan and then that's exactly what she gets done so um, yeah the last line of that book is like brutal <laughs> something yeah, about how like, like yeah oh my gosh you're just like ah no this is terrible yeah um but I, I thought they were I thought they're both enjoyable and I did start talking about Wonder Woman and I think it was it was, it was nice like bonus but it definitely didn't like change anything about the movie so I just thought like it was, it was a fun read it was you know it's cool that they're giving like people the chance to write other stories than what we're seeing on screen it's like pretty much it's like official fan fiction which I think is really cool yeah, yeah and I liked that the novel had a lot of diverse characters mm-hmm. um like there were just like very few white people in the entire book and I thought that that was you know it's unusual um and uh, I appreciated it yeah, um, I, I think honestly, I had I had an interesting time with Warbringer because it was, it's definitely my least favorite book of Lee's, um, but she's a really good author, so that's like the bar is very high. Um, yeah, it didn't feel like a book by her. Yeah, um, which you know tie-ins sometimes don't, but um, they also, I mean, they have a lot more. They have like Marie Lu wrote a young Batman novel um sarah moss wrote a young catwoman novel uh somebody else wrote another character who i don't remember now (laughs) some other dc hero (laughs) who's slipping my mind um but they're all kind of ya and they're all sort of in the same um like you know the cover designs are similar they're sort of grouped together even though i don't think the, the books like actually interact or anything um but yeah, I haven't I haven't read any of those, so I'm not sure if they're worth going for. Um, SM. Um, so my obsession is also book, um, but it is not based on anything fandomy or uh, novelizations of anything. It is actually well, kind of. It's a novelization of the history of New York. Um, which I thought sounded really, really boring, but it's actually really good. It was lent to me by my brother's wife, um, and she uh, she doesn't like sci-fi and fantasy, and but other than that, she has excellent taste. And she lent this to me, and it is like a doorstop of a book. It is like uh, over 800 pages, probably like over, you know, like, what is this? I'm flipping through it to try and find the page number. Um, yeah, 860 pages, and like... Not like, you know, not huge words, <laughs> you know, like a lot of words on a page. Um, but it's um, it's written very, you know, accessibly. And it is just a story of um, basically it follows this family um, through generations of their descendants from like 1654 through about 9-11. Um, and they're just like they live through all these important events in New York City history, but it's not about the events. It's about, you know, the impact of the events on the family. So it's like really it's just like these individual little stories um, that all just you know flow together um, and happen to have all of this history as their backdrop. 
Um, and like, so occasionally there are time jumps, but they're not really very disorienting. Cause like you always have some kind of thread of continuity. Like even if you're jumping 20 years, it's like, oh, I, that's, that's the kid, you know, who was, you know, everybody was, was looking out for him and taking care of him. And like, now he's all grown up and, you know, building, uh, you know, giant, uh, engineering things in New York, you know, and stuff like that. Um, and I think it just it does such a great job of um, exploring the nuances of what it was like to live at these particular times. Because when you you know learn about it in history, or like you learn about like the Revolutionary War, and like it's just you know the Tories are the bad ones, you know, like the Loyalists are evil, and you know they were just trying to thwart the Patriots at every turn, and you know, and like this is you know one of the major characters. Um, is a loyalist, but he comes, you know, you, you see, you, you've seen him through, grow up through his, you know, from like when he was a teenager until he's, you know, a successful businessman and you, um, you've seen him, you know, raise his children, you've seen him get married, you've seen all of this stuff and you know exactly where he's coming from and you know, you know, that he didn't come to this decision lightly and that like things, you know, that he has reasons for it and it's not just, you know, um, that he wants to spite the Patriots. Um, and I feel like it's, it's one of the things I appreciate about good fiction, um, is that you get to really, you know, explore different issues from many different angles and sides without having to, you know, have some kind of hot take on, you know, this is how it should be. And like, this is what I think, um, you just get to, you know, what that show about? I think that's an airplane. Oh, pretty sure right, it's, it's uh, going coming away. over my head at this point now. <laughs> <laughs> um, yeah, and just like you get to explore how real people, you know, would respond to different things, um, and you don't have to, you know, take a side. You just get to show the complexity and um, the difficulties that they each encounter. And like, not everything has to do with the history. Sometimes it's just, you know, regular mundane, you know, life at the time. Um, and, but they, all of the characters are, I find that they're well done. Some are more sympathetic and, you know, some are more obviously flawed, um, but they're all interesting and they get themselves into different predicaments and, you know, you're always rooting for them. Um, and yeah, and I'm like, I started it on Rosh Hashanah. And I am like 550 pages in, so I'm not done yet, but um, it goes pretty quickly. And um, I'm looking forward to seeing how it all turns out. And did I mention the name? So the name of it <laughs> is um, New York, uh, the novel by Edward Rutherford. Cool. Yeah. Yeah, and um, I recommended it to my mom that she get the audiobook because I think that it will be really cool to listen to on an audiobook and it will probably last for the rest of the school year. Awesome. That's cool. It's always funny to me when I find a like a reality-based book that I really enjoy. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, it's like, like, I don't like historical fiction. This is not my thing. <laughs> yeah, wh wh where, where are the, uh, <laughs> where are the dragons? <laughs> yeah. So, so, where's the time travel? Um, yeah, and the spaceships. There are no spaceships. Awesome. All right, so let's head on to our main topic, which, as we said, are bad guys. Um, I don't know why I was thinking about this after Rosh Hashanah. It just kind of, like, it just kind of popped into my head and, and, and wouldn't leave. Um, but I, I'm really interested in kind of the, the way we view bad guys in fiction nowadays uh, versus the way... Versus, or maybe if it dovetails, you know, the way kind of biblical villains are portrayed, the way we think about them. So, um, yeah, so I mean, like, we can even start at, the, like, the beginning, um, if we want to talk about, like, the snake. Uh, that, he's, 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 like, pretty much the OG villain, right, in, in biblical history? I think that's fair to say. 
Yeah. I think it's interesting that I feel like in in the you know the shot and the text itself there is often very little motivation ascribed to various villains. Mm. Um and then we have a lot of midrashim that flesh them out. Um and you know I feel like you know it was like all of this fanfic that you know the writers t- that the you know Mafarshim had to to come up with because they were just like, I really like this story, but I need to understand this villain better, you know? So, um, yeah, the snake gets a lot of different motivations, you know, in his, you know, Midrashim about why he decided to tempt Adam and Chava. And, you know, like, I remember particularly there was like one about like, you know, he saw them, you know, together as man and wife and he was jealous you know, and I'm like, that's creepy, but also, you know, like one of the classic motives of, you know, jealousy and sex. So he just wanted um, someone to love. <laughs> he just wanted someone to love him. Yeah. But like, I mean, I, when I when I think of of the Nakash, I think like primarily the 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 main. Um, trait I think about and maybe I'm wrong but it's like underhandedness sneakiness um you know all those like snake-like traits exactly but I kind of wonder if like is that still viewed as a negative trait I mean it's negative but I don't know if it's like 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 if you want to if you want to put it this way like genre defying history defining villain (laughs) villainous trait nowadays you know like we have characters who are tricksters who are like you know, like, I wouldn't put Loki on, on the list of, like, unambiguous villains in modern popular culture. And he definitely has some of that about him. Um, I mean, Salazar's... We also have more stories about what else he did with his time, you know? Mm-hmm. Like, we don't have very many stories about the Nakash other than this one. Right, yeah. But, I mean, using that information, like, that, that, that still is Loki's defining trait, right? Like, Loki doesn't, like... Even even like in extremists, he's he's going for the tricks. He's going to make things seem not the way they are. Um, mm-hmm. I don't know. I don't in know. African in African folklore, they have Anansi, who yeah. is the trickster spider god. But yeah, in terms of motivation, like I think you know, uh, chaos is kind of the end goal of maybe characters like Anansi and Loki. Whereas the snake, it was a more specific goal of causing sin. Does that make yeah. sense? Yeah, it's like, you know, some people just like to trick for the sake of trickster ring, and, you know, some have a goal. And, like, Loki doesn't always have a goal, he just likes to mess with everyone. Mm-hmm. Well, isn't... I mean, isn't the difference between, like, Loki, who... I wouldn't say he's he's a villain as much as he's an anti-hero because for him it's like we know that it's his nature like he can't not be a trickster like you can't ask someone to not be themselves so just like trying to like understand him is kind of why I think people you know enjoy him and like him but he's still gonna do what he's gonna do like he's not gonna his whole essence is that he's a but is being a trickster innately make you a villain no I mean like I guess sometimes, but like there are times when he uses his like tricksterness for good, and sometimes when he uses it for bad. So it's like the snake is just blatantly there for. We don't know anything about the snake's nature. We just know the snake said what the snake said, and the snake did what the snake did. Like we just know very little. So I think there's just no context to kind of like explain why someone why like the snake is just bad. Versus Loki, yeah. like, well, Loki is Loki is is makes bad decisions because of his nature. Right. Interesting. Hmm. Yeah. I mean, I've never been like a Loki. I've never been like a Loki fangirl or anything. Like, I only liked him in Thor Ragnarok. <laughs> because, well, that's interesting because uh, yeah, in, like, in Thor Ragnarok, there was a really good article uh, about how Loki was kind of like true neutral in that movie as opposed to in the other mm-hmm. um films he had really kind of listed toward you know um what is it, it chaotic evil going flow yeah and not really engineering very many things yeah oh he's 
chaotic neutral. Sorry, he's definitely chaotic. He's not. He's not neutral in that <laughs> yeah. in that character aspect. But he's yeah, he's chaotic neutral, um, as opposed to being chaotic evil. And yeah, no, I think that does kind of change, you know. And, and obviously, um, in in um, uh, Infinity War, no spoilers, but there are definitely some actions that he takes that that list toward chaotic good in that in that incident. So I was thinking um, when I was preparing for this episode um, and trying to come up with, you know, some kind of compare contrast point between villains in fiction and villains in Tanakh. Um, And I feel like the villains in fiction, at least the really the best ones, you know, are always like designed um, to be, um, they're designed in contrast with the hero. Um, and they're designed, you know, the best villains are the ones that pit the, um, the strengths of the villain against the weaknesses of the hero. So, like, the best villains are the ones who can exploit whatever the hero's weakness is. Because, like, you want to make sure that the hero feels like he could lose. Um, but you also want your hero to be, you know, capable of winning. And you want them to be likable and interesting. Um, and... So I feel like the best villains are the ones who are constructed with that in mind. Um, and I feel like in Tanakh, the villains are kind of just like, you don't like, again, we don't get a lot of their motivations and we don't get necessarily that much development of each of them. Um, so um, I feel like, you know, like Paro, Pharaoh is not like designed to be the ultimate antagonist to Moses because there's just, you know, there's nothing really about his character that is in direct, you know, contrast with Moses. Um, it's just, you know, he's just a bad guy. Uh, and well, not, not with Moshe, but I think with, um, uh, I think a lot of these, a lot of biblical villains kind of address elements of the Jewish people as a whole. You know what I mean? Sometimes. Yeah. Like sometimes it could be like, you know, they come in and, like, they infiltrate the Jewish people um, and they feel like, you know, they find, you know, where the Jewish people are weak and then, yeah, then they exploit that lack of faith or whatever it is. Mm-hmm. Um, so I guess, yeah, you can say, like, if like the antagonist is considered, you know, a, a contrast to the Jewish people as a whole as opposed to... Um, you know, as opposed to the specific protagonist of whatever biblical story you're currently in. So when you guys, like, said that you wanted to talk about characters, like, from Tanakh, I, I thought it was really interesting, the ones that you suggested were people like Paro, oh, Paro and, like, Levan and Bilam, because those are all, like, one, relatively, like, one-note bad guys, or they're not bad, because Levan, whatever. Um well, no, sorry, I was thinking Lilith for a second there. They're all bad. Um, <laughs> I mean, I think Laban does do Shiva. Like, a lot of them kind of, like, after afterward, it's like, and then they did Shiva. <laughs> yeah. Um, <laughs> no details. <laughs> they, they, they do something good in their old age or whatever. But I thought it was interesting that you were picking characters who, like, we don't really get so much content about them when I was thinking, you know, like, the... the Tanakh and, like, Torah and everything isn't meant to be a story, so, like, it's not... I mean, like, it's meant to be a story, but it's not, like, fictive, so these characters aren't necessarily crafted to to be a certain way. I'm sure, like, when it was written down, there was a purpose for the way things... certain things were included and whatever, but, but, like, I was thinking more, like, it was funny that you were looking only towards Torah, because I feel like it's in Nach, where, like, we get more of the the bad guys who have depth to them. Like my first thought was Shaul who like is, mm. he's King and then he's not King anymore. And he's, or he is King, but he's not supposed to be King anymore. And he's just trying to kill David. And you literally see his spiral towards evil, like villainy over tens of pair of chapters. Like it's really like probably the most, the biggest, like look at, at a good guy to a bad guy in Tanakh. Um, and like for him, we know that he's a foil. Like you just mentioned how like a good villain is a foil to a good guy. And we know he's a foil to David. And we know that like, we know 
we know his thoughts. We know the thoughts of the people around him. We know the thoughts of God. <laughs> we know like everything that is going into his actions. And he's, and he's like, people don't ever like go like, oh, well, well, Shell made a mistake once and he's a good guy. And we just kind of like screw him over. Um, <laughs> but like, we, we just picked him as this like crazed, crazed killer king. Um, so when you were just, yeah, just when you guys were talking about bad guys, I was thinking like, those are bad guys in a very minute, like re- detailing. Like we know Paro is bad because he won't let the Jews, like the Israelites go. And that's it. Like he's just a bad king. And we know Lovin's bad because he's an evil father and father-in-law. And we know Billam's bad because he gets hired to like curse people. Um, but like, <laughs> we actually have like character. Is it analogy. weird that I keep connecting each one of these guys to Loki? <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I don't understand how you would do that. Honestly, <laughs> maybe maybe Billam, but like Billam himself. I have a lot of thoughts about Billam, so I'm not going to get into that because Billam himself is just like hired to do his job. So can you really? blame someone for making a living you can but i'm just saying um but like i I thought it was interesting that you guys suggested and and you've been talking about i didn't even think of them i yeah i don't i guess you know like because you know in school you learn the whole story from the beginning and like he's not a villain you know in the beginning so like i just considered him you know a character and now i and you know like Obviously, he becomes the villain of the story, but, like, I never thought of him that way because of, I guess, the context in which I learned the story. But I have to put in an obligatory plug here for uh, the show Kings, which everybody needs to watch because they nail the uh, Shaul-David relationship very well. Um, And uh, what's his name? Ian McShane plays King Silas, who is Saul, and uh, he's just great and, like, Sometimes he just like seems totally evil and whatever, you know, but there are other times and he manages to keep it feeling totally within character, you know, when he does compassionate and decent things. So it's like, ah, that type of thing. Yeah. Yeah, no, that's a really good point. And I, yeah, (laughs) I think maybe I was like thinking too quickly (laughs) or not thinking enough in, in Nach terms also. I mean, there are a lot of great, like, I mean, that, that whole story is unbelievably fascinating. And I think, you know, you can, it would maybe deserve a lot more time than than we have now to really dive into it. Um, But I'm trying to now think of any, like, sort of parallel stories in modern fiction and like how they would deal with that because you know I I feel like that that perverted potential is a really interesting theme um and that's kind of you know at least to me one of one of Shaw's defining themes um oh I have one yeah I I don't know I just talked in my head um is it Loki um no (laughs) (laughs) um I mean, I guess it could be Loki because he wants to be king. See, um, everything is I, Loki. <laughs> um, but I was just, I, I haven't read them in years, so I could be like totally off base. But um, in the Aragon series, like, um, shoot, what's his, I really haven't read these oh, in years. Oh, <laughs> What? I just know his name and the name of his dragon, but I don't I don't know anything else. Is, is <laughs> it, I, I never finished uh, the first book. Is it the brother, oh, so like, Murtaugh? Yeah, I was thinking Murtaugh. Yeah, so, I liked like, him. Murtaugh was a good character. Like, not good, but he was, like, a, a, an ally early on. And then he, like, becomes a, a villain partially because of their relationship and what Aragorn's, like, purposes versus Murtaugh's goals. Um, I think I really haven't read this in a while, but I was just looking at the books at my parents' house. I was reorganizing my bookshelves in my child, my like um, childhood room, and I was just like, "Oh yeah, I remember being really frustrated with this series." But that was an interesting like plot thing going on. Um, but pretty much, yeah, Murta, he like originally is like, uh, yeah, he's originally an ally, and then it turns out that he's has a relationship with Aragorn that we didn't know, and he ends up being evil. Um, 
And I think he redeems himself at the end, but I don't remember anymore. So if anybody who is listening to this remembers comments, <laughs> please let me know because the Wikipedia page is totally useless right now. Um, <laughs> literally, like they have like 60 main characters. And I'm like, how do you have this many major characters and each of them have one line? And I'm just like, this is useless. Um, much like some of the books chapters because those books went on for way too long. Um but yeah, so that's that's one that I think I just think I I had like a really rough night last night, so I really didn't prep for this. But when when I read those, I was like, oh, that's funny that none of them are from Noth because I think Noth is so much richer in in personality than Torah because Torah is supposed to be teaching us very specific things and supposed to be telling us very specific like mitzvah. Like we don't necessarily get like commandments from Noth. Like we derive teachings and stuff from Nach, but like the 613 like mitzvot are from Torah. Um, and Nach it's, it's kind of more about like history and who the Israelites, Jewish people are supposed to be. So I, I just think that's more of a, like a, yeah, I think I remember a, a reading an interview, a narratively richer mm-hmm. place to look at bad guys. Yeah, I remember reading an interview with um, Madeline Langle, who uh, wrote Wrinkle in Time series, and um, she was saying that, like, she believes in the, you know, power of fiction to teach, and she said, like, look at the David story, that's a novel. And I was like, whoa. (laughs) I, like, am honestly really surprised, and I, maybe it's because someone would, like, be labeled with, like, an Apicorus label. I've always been really, 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 really surprised that there's never, like, been a fiction series based, like, in that time period or like in like the Benjamin Dutch era, it's like there's never been historical fiction based off of Tanakh in like the modern day from like a, a somebody who has like a, a background in Judaism who like knows what they're talking about because like you could just do a yeah, side. That's why Kings was so unusual. But I mean, even that was a modern day retelling, yeah. right? So I'm saying like there was no historical, like yeah. it would be so easy to just commission like, uh, almost like a fantasy series or like just a historic fiction series like based off of like someone living I don't know like in David's army or something and like you wouldn't even have to like do anything with the main characters you could just you know make a story that's happening in parallel to it or something or or I don't know like there's so much good like world world building in, in Tanakh like you know that like how people sort of lived based on like they're telling you people lived and i just yeah. think i think it'd be like someone write it <laughs> well, <I> think, <laughs> well at least as long as it's not mel gibson because i know he wanted to do um the well, maccabee story see well, that's the right, thing though I like I, I feel like it's never or almost never i mean not that you would have to be jewish to tell a biblical story because you don't but like i feel like it's always turned into some kind of like like it's it's not about the the history and the human experience like that, that, that movie. It's stupid. It should be. <laughs> I know. I know. And it's like really dumb. Like I'm thinking of that, that stupid movie about the Egyptian gods or whatever that came out like, a while Oh, ago. that was terrible. Yeah. And they were like all white people. <laughs> it, was, <laughs> it was just like a, a nightmare. I read a really funny review of it that was like, I'm, I'm ruined now. <laughs> I can't watch any more movies. <laughs> <laughs> And but but yeah no I mean I th- I think that there is a lot of richness here I think that it would also be like you know I mean it's funny because like I, I I as I've like gotten older I realized that like Prince of Egypt is a very important movie to a lot of of people and I was never allowed to watch that so like oh, no. oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> same so with my though. family I remember the first time I saw it was in Israel and we watched it like just before a lot of kids a lot of students went home for uh, for Pesach and they were we we had like a screening with one of the uh, with one of the I don't know, it wasn't the principal, but, like, you know, one of the administrators. Um, and he was like, okay, I'm going to do that annoying thing where I pause the video and we discuss what just happened. <laughs> so we had did it, you know, so, like, we got to enjoy it as a movie, but also, you know, like, draw the comparisons between, you know, like, what choices did they make that, you know, are not, you know, seen in our traditions, and you know, and what are, you know the interesting cinematic uh, things that they did and what, you know, that says about, you know, how we view the story and how this movie views the story. Mm. Yeah. Uh, 
Um, yeah, I mean, I watched it like on a second grade show of a tone at SAR, um, <laughs> like when it just came out. And like since then, like I loved it. And since then, I always think about it like when I when I was learning, like since I saw it in second grade, like I learned a lot since then. And I was always thinking about like, oh, that's like that Midrash was actually something that was referenced in in Prince of Egypt. And like there are obviously issues with it. And like I cannot stand that they said Hashem's name in Azir Shir. Um, but like all in all, based on like everything that I learned and the movie that like I grew up with, like it it actually was probably the best adaption of any biblical story I've ever seen. Like even Joseph King of Dreams wasn't it wasn't it was made by the same production company. It wasn't great. Um but it had really good songs. It never became as popular. No, it had some good songs, but it wasn't as good of a like it wasn't as well done as Prince of Egypt. But then I was looking into it recently and reading some old interviews and they said that they spoke to biblical scholars of like different like faiths and backgrounds. So like it wasn't like they were just talking to like one like Orthodox rabbi. Like they were talking to a bunch of different rabbis and a bunch of different scholars and a bunch of like Christian scholars and everybody who like might have input on like the the narrative. And like talking to people like who wrote those books about like could the plagues be real and not like and that's how kind of they did a lot of the art. So I just thought it was really interesting that like that movie it's just a kids movie essentially, but it's also not because it's like pretty like thoughtfully done, which I think is the important thing. I know we're not talking about bad guys, sorry. Oh no, no, this is really interesting, <laughs> and I think it's like, I mean, yeah. First we, of all, I've, I've heard that about um, Prince of Egypt that it's kind of like the best of those. Um, uh, Michal should definitely watch it before Pesach, and you should like. We should record your reaction to it. Yeah, maybe I will. Maybe this will be the year. Five seven seven nine. I finally watched. <laughs> I haven't even watched it. The music's so good. Like aside from like the movie, like it's just so good. Yeah. No, I think I will. I think I will. Um, so, but I just have one more question for you guys that I'm I'm kind of thinking of. Um, and, um, it's, it's, it's an awkward one, but, um, I just Googled, like, biblical female villains, and... Uh-huh. And you got Jezebel? <laughs> well, okay, <laughs> so this is from a, a website called BibleGateway.com, so whatever, um, but <laughs> it's, um, it's, it's interesting. It's an interesting, and the, I mean, they basically... So one is Eve. Um, two, okay, but that's really Christian interpretation. Yeah, it is really Christian. Um, okay, who is two? Uh, Isabel, um, Jezebel. Yeah, who like also in Judaism were just like, okay, she existed. Everybody was bad in that era. Right. Exactly. Um, Zeresh. Athalia. Huh. She was the daughter of Ahab and probably also of Jezebel, the Bible's wickedest queen. Married to the king of Judah, she grew paranoid after his death, murdering her grandchildren. I don't remember this story at all. <laughs> I do remember this. But like, again, this is like one of the things that like, honestly, this is going to sound really terrible and I'm sorry for any Christian listeners listening to us, but like whenever people are saying like, oh, Eve is terrible and, Je- and Jezebel is terrible, I'm just like, we don't care about those people. Like this was literally Jezebel and Athalia were like, I mean, we don't care about, not that we don't care about them, but like these were people who were just essentially included in the story to show how bad idolatry is and how bad it makes you be. And Eve like literally has like a line, like she's not a character and they're just like, all sin on this planet is because of Eve. And I'm like, wow, you really are terrible towards women. Um, We could have picked snakes or we could have picked women. And I guess we picked women. (laughs) <laughs> just we could have just hated snakes forever. <laughs> um, but yeah, I'm looking at Athalia's Wikipedia and like literally her name is actually really cool. Um, it means like God is exalted, and I'm like cool. that's a cool name. I wish we could name people that. Um, but she sees the throne of Juno and order the execution of all possible claimants to the throne. This would make a great story. Yeah, I mean, that, so- that sounds like pretty much every paranoid king ever. That's, like, standard operating procedure. I think you kill everybody else. Yeah, right? Yeah. Doesn't that uh, happen in Shakespeare, like, six times? <laughs> yeah, I mean, it happened in, like, Herod. I'm pretty sure Herod did that with all of his uh This just possible gets so opponents. much better. She used her power to establish the worship of Baal in Judah, and six years later, she was surprised when Jehoiada revealed that Jehoash lived and proclaimed him king of Judah. So it's just like, this is a hidden king story. Oh, we should make a movie of this. 
<laughs> I'm down. Oh my god. I'm totally gonna read this Wikipedia page. Um, okay, wait. Who, who's number four? So there's a lot of them that I have no idea who they are. Um, I don't know who Herodias is. Um, John the Baptist is in this story, so I don't think that's one of ours. Um, but <laughs> five, five is Potiphar's wife. Um, uh huh. That's an interesting she one. She just wanted some. Like we can't blame her. <laughs> But that's the thing. Like, do we blame her for that? Like, she was no, basically like. I, I, I mean, is, consent is a thing. And that's true. She's a rapist. Um, she's a sexual assault. Yeah. Yeah. And she threw him in jail. So, um, and Potiphar knew he was innocent. So, like, that was even worse. Hashtag me too. <laughs> <I'm afraid>. <laughs> <laughs> Should we call this but episode to- hashtag me too? Okay. Apparently, no. in my elementary school, um, they put on a production of, like, Joseph and the Technicolor Dream Code. And in the first production, which had not been screened by the administration and it was being performed for the audience, oh. um, <laughs> they, like, they did this scene and they had, like, they had her pull the, you know, the actor playing Joseph, they had her pull him behind, like, a partition of some kind. And then they just start throwing out clothing. <laughs> <laughs> was not happy and in the next performance it was not there (laughs) (laughs) oh my god um so the so six is delilah i think definitely yeah the thing with delilah they're in unhanded kind of qualities yeah but the thing with delilah is that like her story is so intrinsic to shot to um shimshon's Shim- story you know it's like mm. she is i think a, a villain who is tailored to um the needs quote-unquote of the hero you know because he is this like back and forth like kind of skating the line is he is he you know doing bad things for good reasons like that's 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 Shimshon's whole thing and then he you know ends up with this woman who is like kind of I I feel like tailored to 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 tap into that you know and also like he he egged her on right like he kept on telling her like oh this is why like oh no she well she insisted she she was the only person who could get close enough to him to find out what made him strong um, he wouldn't tell her. She wanted to find out. But she was no. be also being used by the leaders of the, the Philistines at the time. So that's also an interesting dynamic. He, he did tell her. He told her, like, about what to tie on him. And then it, she did it. Like, like no, well, she, he was, yeah, no, this is really interesting because, like, he, she asked, you know, she was repeatedly asking because the, the Plishti leaders wanted to know how to, you know, overcome him. And so she was tr- being their spy in his camp, basically. No, I know, and, but he was telling her. And, well, no, and he, he told her fake things to see, you know, what her motives were. And then she did them. And, you know, like she, he said, you, you tie me up with a certain kind of rope, which had no power whatsoever. I know um, he was taking her it. on. Like, this is so stupid. Like, he brought, he I don't think he egged her on. I think he told her because he wanted to find out. And then even after he ascertained that her motives were to actually try this, she managed to somehow convince him that, like, that was, you know, that was then, this is now. You can tell me now. You can trust me. Um, and for whatever reason, he trusted her. And I think the whole point is, you know, to exploit that, like, he had some kind of, you know, arrogance or weakness, you know, f- for women. Um, and, yeah, he did not exercise his brain. <laughs> that thing. And so, like, yeah, it was kind of a brains over brawn kind of thing. Yeah, I mean, well, that, that I, I love that. Like, I love that. I mean, that's a weird thing to say, but I, I always, <laughs> I, I really enjoy that kind of contrast where, like, one character represents one thing and another, another character represents another thing. And, like, Shimshon is such a physical character, like, even the Nazir thing, you know, it's, it's all about the body and what he's doing with that. And then to have this woman who's, like, um, I mean... You know, I, 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 my initial question was like, are, are most of these women characterized by like their sexuality? But I kind of don't yeah. think so. Thinking what? about it, I think. Yeah, I mean, I don't think that her role was necessarily very sexual. You know, it was seductive, but not sexually seductive. Mm-hmm. And you know, if that makes. Um, sense. 
I think it it was like in the end, like a lot of it was like while while he was sleeping, she did things. Like it was definitely mm-hmm. there was a a role about her seducing him, yes, sexually. And yeah, I guess it's just not explicit because yeah, it's Tanakh. <laughs> Um, I mean, like, why were they sleeping in the same tent or whatever? Right. Like, Good point. <laughs> yeah, what? Fair point, Samar. What? Um, <laughs> yeah, listen, he just wife. didn't so want her to walk home like, on her own. She wasn't his no, wife. She was his wife, but also just, like, his motive for, you know, taking a plishti wife was in order I don't to, think like... they were married. Are you sure? I think that I was, he had a, a first... He, this was, like, he. she was his second plishti wife, and, like, I don't know if he had other wives other than her, but, like, his motive that he, like, said was just, you know, so that I can better understand our enemies, whatever. Um, but it's unclear if that's – it was his actual motive or if he actually, you know, cared about her. But, yeah, it's kind of a mess. Sure is, uh, very interesting protagonist. Yeah, I don't think he was married to her – Looking at Wikipedia, he did have a Plishti wife beforehand, and I don't understand why this guy kept on, like, flirting with Plishti, like, when they were his enemies, but okay. Again, kind of a black and white, you know, a, not black and white, <laughs> shades of gray kind of characters yeah. from Shone, you know? Like, I think... Achilles heel was Plishti women. Yeah, I don't know. Um, I'm gonna I'm gonna broadcast a message to Scott here, um, our producer at Jewish Coffee House. Um, please make a podcast about, like... Tanakh and Tanakh stories because <laughs> they're awesome and also uh, it's been a real long time since Beis Yaakov. So. <laughs> um, well, I was actually thinking, shift of gears, uh, like, my name is Tamar, so I always, like, think about when we talk about, like, oh, people in Tanakh who, like, are good or evil or whatever. Like, I'm sure some people, when you were saying the list of, like, the people, I was, like, sure Tamar was going to be there because, like, she goes and seduces her father-in-law and dresses up as a prostitute. To, she was like, a hero. Get, like, she was, she right. was a hero. But like, I'm sure some sexist people assume that like she tricked him to have a baby because she tricked him to have a baby, and people are sexist. And she well, dressed up as a prostitute. I mean, the the resolution of that is kind of awesome because he's like, "Oh, you tricked me to have a baby." <laughs> you know, like, yeah, he, like comes out <laughs> and he like, says, "You know, she was right, I was wrong." Like he like basically publicly, you know, uh, you know, uh, comes out in favor of her. So like, she's not the villain by the end for sure. But yeah, I, I mean, I don't know what the Christian perspective on that story is like. I she gave him milk and cookies. <laughs> <laughs> okay, Santa Judah. We're always, we're always feeding people. <laughs> it's always like, there's the wine and cheese before you, like, stab the guy in the head with a tent peg. It's everything. It's crazy. Oh, that's the best story. That is the Big best story. The man's heart is through his stomach. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my goodness. I actually had an idea of, like, um a story like using using kind of the the um the triangulation of of um Yael and um sister's mother um and like telling stories from like those perspectives and like the whole thing I don't know um but just to <laughs> just to mention one more Tamar I mean like if we want to talk about villains um Avshalo is not Ooh. a great guy um like Worst really ever yeah uh Super, super bad guy. Um, How was he, he not was on the that first frat bro, basically. He was the first, <laughs> you know. <laughs> like, it's like you've seen this villain in many, many, you know, teenage, you know, uh, comedies, I'm sure. <laughs> yeah, he's also a rapist, though. So. <laughs> yeah. But yeah. the, you know, it doesn't go against the whole, you know, frat boy villain persona. Right. Are there any, are there any biblical villains who are like... Aesthetics, like who aren't like invested in excess somehow. In access, a- excess, like Avshalom is obviously very like physical, well, I mean, like that. But you know, Lovin. So is that's also like with, the the hubris angle, right? Of, uh, yeah, and Lovin has all this money, and well, you know, I mean, I could be an Abikoris for this, like that's totally fine. But Eliyahu isn't exactly the nicest guy on the planet. 
Nope. No. Yeah. <laughs> and, and Alicia, right? There were like yeah. these these kids who call him, you know, hey, Baldy, and then he like summons yeah. bears out of the woods to eat them. Yay. Like <laughs> Why is that normalized? And like, yeah, we love Alicia. I'm like, why, kids? <laughs> why? That's crazy. Maybe he wasn't a hero. Maybe he was an anti-hero. Yeah, um, I don't think he. I think he was just evil. He sticks bears on kids for teasing him. Like that kid must. Yeah, have been really, I mean, must have been really bullied in childhood. I feel like Eliyahu in Tanakh, you know, is a lot more ambiguous than you know the Eliyahu of like folklore who comes and visits you know everybody's uh-huh. house and everybody's bris and everything. But like in Tanakh, you know, God was not happy with Eliyahu a lot of the time. You know, Eliyahu was like going around doing things, you know, and like making demands of God that you know God was like, you know. Away. That's not what I really want. You know, go, you know, sit in the desert and think about what you've done. You know? <laughs> um, so, yeah. yeah, I think that like a lot of people, you know, like, you know, the same way that, you know, Boba Fett gets built up, you know, in the fandom mind, I feel like. Oh, Fett. Oh, my gosh. Oh, <laughs> All right, well, maybe we should wrap this up before we get, like, full off the cliff. <laughs> but I think this is a really interesting conversation, and I definitely would like to, to talk more about this kind of thing in the future. Um, so if you, our dear listeners, have any suggest- suggestions either about villains, heroes, female characters, um, things that connect to our general concept of, of uh, character themes, I guess we could put it, um, in the modern world, definitely let us know. Tamar, where can people find you on the internet if they want to talk to you? Uh, people can find me on Twitter and Instagram at Tamar Wright. And SM? Um, people can follow my uh, public Facebook, and they can uh, check out my fiction on Amazon at Amazon.com slash author slash SM Rosenberg. Awesome. And you can find me on Twitter at Ink as Rain, and you can find my writing at Hypable.com. Um, as for nice Jewish fangirls, of course, obviously, there's JewishCoffeeHouse.com and all of its associated social media. Um, as for nice Jewish fangirls, you can find us on Twitter at Jewish Fangirls. We have 281 followers, guys. That's pretty cool, wow. I think. Yeah. <laughs> My brother has 50,000. <laughs> yeah. All right. Well, not all of us can be Yati Rosenberg. I know. I make fun of him. <laughs> <laughs> Um, and, uh, in addition to that, you can find us obviously on Facebook at Nice Jewish Fangirls. You can email us at NiceJewishFangirls at gmail.com. We would love to hear your thoughts as always. And please do take the time if you can. No, it's busy, but just leave us a review on, on iTunes. Just while you're, while you're on your computer, just click that little iTunes thing, type Nice Jewish Fangirls and hit those five stars. And if you want to type us a couple words, it really does help us. Um, and I think that's about it for now, yeah? Sounds good to me. All right, so, uh, this has been a huge thing. Well, I don't know. I, I always forget how I sign off. Anyway, um, live long and prosper, everyone. <laughs> and shut up so far. <laughs>